Welcome to Episode 6 of a Women's World Cup Home Companion on Backheel.com. I'm Jonathan Tannenwald from Philly.com, the Philadelphia Inquirer and Daily News in Vancouver. And I really didn't think I'd be saying that, to be honest with you. Uh, but it's great to be back here, to be on the shores of Burrard Inlet with a spectacular view of Stanley Park from a perch here on Jackpool Plaza right on the edge of the Fox Soccer Studio set behind us. They are recording an episode of Women's World Cup tonight. You might hear some of the fans in the background. You might hear some of the chatter uh, from the tables adjacent uh, at the little establishment where I'm hanging out with two good, two good Vancouver soccer journalists who know this town and who know this game very well. Uh, ladies first, Harjeet Johal of Equalizer Soccer, uh, who's been traveling around Canada, I think even more than the U.S. journalists have so far. It's great to see you, and I'm sure for you it's great to be at home for once. Yeah, it's nice to be able to sleep in my own bed and just walk over to BC Plays for everything. And secondly, Simon Fudge of Goal.com, uh, who has traveled a bit less, but then again he lives so close to BC Place that he doesn't have to travel all that much at all. Uh, it's good to see you again. I've been on your show, uh, Soccer Talk with Tyler Green, a fair few times. Uh, and now, as I've been lucky enough to do throughout this tournament, I get to turn the tables on you. So good to see you. Good to see you too, John. And um, just delighted that uh, everything has crescendoed so well with this event uh, to into this weekend. Well, we're going to talk about the two semifinals. And uh, I mean it when I said that I really didn't think I was going to be here. I think all of us who follow the U.S. team... Uh, thought they were going to lose to Germany. We were going to go to Edmonton. Fine city, but not quite as fine as this one. I think even the folks in Edmonton would admit that. Um, that game, that U.S.-Germany game, was one of the great games of women's soccer in the history of the sport. And it began, as I wrote in my game recap for the Inquirer and the Daily News, an hour and a quarter or so before kickoff. When Jill Ellis did something, Simon, that none of us thought that she was going to do, and that was switch the U.S. lineup to a 4-3-3. She asked Morgan Bryan and Lauren Holiday to backstop Carly Lloyd. When that happened, there was a real buzz in the press room, you know, and from the folks on Twitter and all the stuff like that. We're all supposed to be objective, but those of us who have spent a lot of time over the last few weeks criticizing Jill Ellis all of a sudden sat there and said, my goodness, she did it. It single-handedly changed the tenor of the game. It's a big reason why they won, and it might just be a big reason why they win the whole thing. I would agree. Um, I, I, I got a sense from the formation and the lineup that they put up against Germany that they got the freedom. They, they unshackled themselves in many ways. And in terms of their attack, they took the focus of going central with their attack, particularly with the likes of having Wambach up front, and got it to where they attacked Germany down the flanks. I think they caught Germany very much off guard with their tactics. And I, I think for me, you, you could see certainly in the first half, Germany were struggling to adjust to the way that they were playing or coming at them. The fact that the U.S. Have went wide with their rent and go, go down the flanks to try, to try and get things, uh, to try and get in behind the Germany defense... Um, is possibly with this group of players that they've got the most effective way that they can attack and I think is also going to be a very effective way that they can attack Japan on, the, on Sunday. Harjit, Simon mentioned the element of Germany potentially being surprised. Uh, I'd like to think that by now the American soccer public has gotten to know Sylvia Nide pretty well. And I will gladly plead guilty, as will quite a few other folks in the American press corps, 
of tossing questions at her while we were in Montreal with the express purpose of baiting her into giving a flashy answer. And she did on a few occasions. Whether or not she realized just how much you know, we were going after her, um, she does not come across as somebody who would be surprised very often, does she? No, Sylvia's great to talk to. She gives really great answers, and coaches like that, managers. It really helps uh, the game. It really helps uh, progress it, makes people interested. It gives us lots to write and talk about. And Sylvia Nide, she's going to be stepping down after the Olympics, so she's going to be very missed and one of the great coaches in the women's game for sure. Simon, the look on her face when the U.S. scored that second goal of just staring there with this what just happened look on her face combined obviously I mean it started when Celia Sasek missed the penalty um, then the U.S. gets theirs controversially but as I wrote first of all the U.S. was the better team on the night second of all the mental I, the mental aspect of penalties you've got some English blood in you so I know you know a little bit about that um, I wrote in uh, I wrote in, in, in uh, Thursday's edition of the, of the Inquirer and Daily News the penalty spot lives a humble existence that gets ignored most of the time uh, but when a crime is committed in its neighborhood it's the star witness and I thought and a lot of people thought Germany was the one team in this tournament that could match the mental strength that is the United States' calling card and has been for so long. Celia Sasic steps up. Everybody in the building, all 51,000 people, assumed that was the end of the game right then and there. She put it wide left. And in the 12 or 13 years that I've been covering soccer in the United States, I can count on one hand the number of times I've been in a building that was louder than Olympic Stadium was at that moment, and it turned the whole game. Yeah, it definitely was, and I think it just sort of summed up the whole story of the game. It was a game where Germany, for me, were second best from the beginning. Um, they looked tired and out of ideas, and you wonder a little bit if we started to see some major uh, glimpses of that in the game against France, which, let's face, let's face it, really, they shouldn't, they, they really shouldn't have come out on, on the top end of, uh, had France had a bit, a bit more of a, of a killing edge to, to their game. Um, Sylvia Nye looked like a manager that just was kind of resigned to, to what was unfolding in front of her, and I don't think she's had a lot of, lot of experiences uh, coaching Germany in that situation. But there, there are times when, uh, you know, a game will get away from a team. There's, there's very little that you can do. And for me, uh, Germany just didn't offer enough in that game. And when the opportunity came for them to take advantage and be on top, which they had to take, they didn't take it. And it was almost like the dam had burst at that point and everything just washed away and the Americans went on and deservedly won the game. The first time in Women's World Cup history, Harji, that Germany had missed a penalty. Um, that takes some doing. And I, I hope, hope Solo admitted to gamesmanship. And as, as we've done many times during this tournament, let's take that as a compliment. Of the, that the caliber of the women's game is rising and that we can now say what we said about the men's game for many years, that all's fair in love, war, and the World Cup. 
Yeah, it was uh, definitely a really strong game for the U.S. Germany just didn't have it on the day. They ran out of answers seemingly. Sylvia Knight on the on the sidelines. You know, she just looked like she had run out of ideas of what to do to get her team going. And that penalty missed by Celia Sausage completely turned the game on its head. You, everyone thought that she was going to convert it. And the confidence went to the U.S. And they, they took it to Germany and they pretty much scored and it carried on right through the final. Let's turn to England and Japan. Um, Japan, everybody, I think, thought coming down that side of the bracket, Harji, was going to be in the final. There's no surprise that they're there. It was plenty of surprise that England were in the semifinal. And they did. They gave Japan one of the biggest runs for their money I've seen any team give Japan since the 2012 Olympics. Baders deserve all the praise that they are rightly getting back home. Uh, and let's hope that this propels England now uh, with the investment that's being made in the Women's Super League with a charismatic coach like Mark Sampson who is ready to go and fight for that program and with the caliber of players that they've got on that team now. Let us now hope that they're ready to really take a spot in the big time on the world stage now. Yeah, I really hope this momentum for England, I hope it carries on to the FAWSL. You know, they return, I believe, on the 16th to league action and with the ratings and the people back home in England that have watched the team, supported the, the Lionesses, it's really hopefully going to boost the game back home. Mark Sampson's tactics have been questioned pretty much every game England has had. But if you look at it, he's got it spot on almost every match. Maybe not the France match. And he's really uh, you know, outmanaged coaches like John Herdman and perhaps you could say Norio Sasaki almost because England had the better chances. They played a lot better than Japan. They had shots on target. They used... The flanks, Jill Scott was really, really good. Japan really didn't have a lot of chances to score on England, so it really is a surprise to see England in the semifinal make it as far as they did. And I really, really hope this boosts football back home, the FAWSL. They're not going to be in the Olympics next year because of the FA and the rules back home. But England's a really young team, and they've got a bright future, and hopefully Sampson and his players can continue at the next European Championship. Here's one of the keys to me, Simon, about England. If I tell you that there's a competition taking place uh, of a game of soccer between Arsenal and Liverpool, people are going to pay attention. I'm not going to tell them that it's a women's game. I'm just going to tell them that it's Arsenal-Liverpool. These big clubs, Manchester City where Lucy Bronze plays, Chelsea's another one. Um, The tide with them seems to be turning. And sometimes... With this English soccer culture that has for so many decades been so male-dominated, so masochist, I'll say it, it's like the NFL in the U.S. sometimes. Um, you need a really big hammer to knock that door down, and Arsenal and Manchester City and Chelsea and Liverpool, those are some pretty big hammers. They are. Um, I, can, I can only think of my experiences when I was working in the U.K. in the early part of the millennium and how even the people I worked with went were, quote-unquote, we don't do women's football in terms of covering it. Um, that was the prevailing attitude in what was a basically a thoroughly male-dominated soccer editorial environment. And um, so, you know, the kind of barriers that, that hopefully this England women's squad have, 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 have started to kind of break down just in perception um, and stigma uh, has been massive because 
Um, they've got a lot going for them. They have a domestic league that some countries that we can think of don't have, including our country right now. Um, and, you know, I look at their squad and the way that they've played and just how much better that they can get. And they're going to turn around and sort of they can make a very strong case that they should be able to go into the next Women's Euro in two years' time um, and, and real make, make a real claim that they could actually go and win it. And then beyond that, uh, make potentially make further inroads in the next Women's World Cup, which I think is in France. So uh, what they have been able to achieve here has been tremendous. And just seeing the reaction, I think, over there has been... Uh, immense just hearing a lot of the post-match stuff and how gutted a lot of people were whether it was the people that were covering it which was the BBC or or just ex-players or other journalists uh, that, that normally cover the game predominantly the men's game just how gutted they were at, at seeing them come up short the way that they did um, that engagement I think has been has been massive and and hopefully it will lead to a stronger trend. And as and I think, as Harjeet says, more support for the FAWSL, which, you know, they, you know, the one thing to keep in mind, they've got a domestic structure in place that all it needs is even more support, and that could produce even stronger England teams in the future. So to the third-place game on Saturday in Edmonton, we talk at times about whether teams can get up for the third-place game. Um... England will have no trouble, I don't think, because you put the word Germany in front of them. You certainly put the word Germany in front of the English back home, and they pay attention. I wonder, though, Harjeet, whether Germany is going to be able to get up for this game. Yeah, that Germany-England match is a match neither team wants to play in. It's going to be tough for both squads to get up to. I really got to put it down to Germany. I think they're going to take it. I believe Nadine Anger said today that, you know, they're not going home having lost two matches in a row. And that loss for England is just so devastating. You know, the players can say it, Samson can say it, that, you know, they're going to try and put it behind them as quickly as they can and, you know, go out and play Germany and win the match. But I really, I'm not sure. I don't know if these players can do it. I've not seen them do it so far. You know, it's a tough match. And I really look back to the London Olympics. Canada against the United States, what a devastating loss it was for Canada. They went on, they found courage, they found it within themselves, they beat France. They won the bronze, so we're going to have to see if England can do the same. It's going to be tough. I, I don't think they can, but you know, I've doubted them for most of the tournament. And they've proven me wrong, and they've proven a lot of other people wrong, and they've done quite well. So we'll have to see what they come up with. Simon, what say you? I'm just wondering if if Germany has enough in the tank physically. To me, they've they've looked in the last two games to be a team that's that's low on gas, if not almost running out of gas. And I wonder if that's going to give England the advantage. There's there's a plenty of impetus here for England to really go out and and grab this game. They kind of almost remind me a little bit of Croatia in the '98 Men's World Cup when. You know they would have really valued being in the third place game, even though they lost the semi final in that World Cup to host France. They really valued finishing third at that World Cup, and I look at them being a similar type of team who could really value going out, wanting to go and finish third because it is an unprecedented thing. I I, I think is the big key for them is to try and wipe out what happened yesterday. It's really important that they try and do that, but I think they've got a lot more energy in them right now because. Uh, they've gone and achieved something that they haven't done so before, and they can go and do so again. For Germany, it's an also-ran kind of situation. 
and the fact that they just look a team that's tired, a little bit out of ideas, now being asked to play this extra game after what had happened to them against the States where things really just slipped away from them, almost slipped away against France. Um, no matter how much resilience and how much we think about the Germans in, in a high respect, and, and why wouldn't you, uh, they just look like they have run out of gas, run out of ideas, and I think England could catch them as long as they're prepared to try and take the game to them right away. As we record this on Thursday night, and we prepare now as we look towards the final on Sunday. The Army's on the march. They're, all, they're coming here again, the American fans are, by the thousands, if not the tens of thousands. And Simon, there's a lot of folks in Canada who don't like him. I get it. That's their right. I would remind them of two things, three things, actually. One is... A lot of the criticisms that I've seen on Twitter of Abby Wambach are shared by the United States fans and observers, and we're so sick of making them that we've just stopped bothering. The second, as regards Sidney LaRue, is that Canada has some players on, of American blood on their roster as well, and if they're so inclined as to keep complaining about Sidney LaRue, they really could have gone out and beaten England. And thirdly, these American players are at a point now where they don't have to care whether people like them for two reasons. One is they know they're already liked by plenty of people back home. And two, they're here to win this thing. Nothing more, nothing less. And all these fans who are coming here to lay waste to your bars and pubs and you know drain every keg of beer in the city and then go into BC Place on Sunday and blow the roof off the thing, they only want one thing. They want a championship. And you say that as if it's a bad thing to drain every keg and every, every <laughs> bit of alcohol from the city. I mean, why would the merchants of the lower mainland of British Columbia be adverse to that? I mean, my goodness. Uh, um, you're right. There's, there's, why would they care? Because the motto has been quite clear from, from day one. They, they, want, they wanted to come here. They want that third star. Um, and they want to get payback, and they're going to actually get the opportunity to get payback in the biggest way for four years ago. Um, I think what they were able to do in the London Olympics and beating effectively the same team to win Olympic gold at Wembley, uh, not the same thing. This is a little bit different. This is something that they want to do, and, yeah, their intent has been very clear from the beginning, and, I mean, I mean why would any of us be actually surprised that they, they would not care. I mean, they, they've always been a singly focused type of team. And that's the thing I think you have to admire about them is that mentality, is that they are singly focused, that they're going to go and win it um, and try and end. And the thing that has given me some confidence that they're probably favorites to win it and probably will lift the trophy was how they set out their stall in the semifinal against Germany, how they played against Germany. It was their best performance. Uh, they looked a liberated side under, in that formation with that lineup. And uh, it just, it, it, not that I want to say it, it's inevitable, but it almost feels a little bit like it could be inevitable, even though I will say they're facing a massively resilient opponent in Japan. It, it's not inevitable. I, now, look, I'm a cynical crank. And I said knows it's it. almost I inevitable, it's not, not totally inevitable. I think, I think that by now um, the American public back home and the 15, maybe even 20 million people who are going to watch this game on Sunday 
they know how good Japan is because one of the things that we've seen throughout this tournament is that the American public are watching the games that the U.S. isn't in. And they know how good this Japan team is. They saw those goals that they've scored against the Netherlands. They know the history. They know that Japan won four years ago. And I think that they know, Harji, that this game on Sunday is not going to be a walkover by any means. No, it's definitely going to not going to be a walk in the park. Japan's a tremendous technical, sound team. Tic-tac-toe passes all over the pitch. You know, they break down their opponents so well, so brilliantly. It's not going to be easy for the U.S. They know Japan very well. They're going to want revenge. It's on their minds. It's going to be a fantastic match, I believe. I don't really give an edge to either side. I think they both played well so far at the World Cup. It's going to come down to the smallest of details, maybe a miscue, a misstep. But I think we're going to see a fantastic match and hopefully a, a winner that's not decided on a controversial play. That's the last thing we need. I could do a whole show about the standard of refereeing in this tournament. I'll, I'll keep it short. I completely understand why they want to have female referees refereeing women's games. In a lot of ways, I'm for it. But in some, there are some ways in which some of these referees, when you have to have enough referees to referee a 2014 World Cup, some of them just are not good enough. It's too bad, but it, it's. It, I, I don't think it's avoidable. Yeah, I, I, that's true. But it, you know, what, what's FIFA's excuse going to be when we ask them that very question? They say, "Well, that's just part of the development on the refereeing side." And, and I think, know. in a lot of ways, they're right about that. Honestly, I do. Um, it's a, it's a tough one. I think it's a tough one for all of us. FIFA had the uh, head of refereeing uh, speak to the media on Monday. Massimo Busaka. Tatiana Henney also spoke at the uh, media briefing regarding referees. I really don't think they have the depth, the quality to put an excellent referee out there for each and every match. The talent pool, it's just not there. It's just not well stocked enough that we can get, you know, a Howard Webb type quality referee each match. You know, they want to improve, they want to develop, they want to get referees in there that know the game. They're looking to hopefully have ex-players that have played the game come in and referee. I don't know how intriguing that is to a, a former player. But that's something that they want to do. And realistically, bottom line, they don't want to take away jobs from females. They want to give opportunities to females to coach, to be a referee, to be involved in the game. I think if you look at the, the final 16 teams that made the round of 16, only four coaches were females. So really they want to give options and give jobs to females at every level in women's football. Really, I can't argue with them. I think it's something that they need to do. I can't either. I want to go back to something that Harjeet said about the U.S. players wanting revenge on Japan for four years ago. No question in my mind that they do, but I don't think we're going to hear them say it. I think they're smarter than that. And I also am pretty sure that they don't have to say it because everybody else is going to say it for them, and that'll be enough. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, and I think there's there's enough. Um, I mean, the thing that's been quite consistent, whether it's been from the likes of a Carly Lloyd or a Megan Rapinoe, is that it's just a determination to go and win. Um, it's it's just, um, you know, they, 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 they will not say that they want revenge for what happened four years ago in Germany, but 
Um, I think deep down in their minds, they, they're probably salivating at the idea that this is their final opponent when I'm sure that they were more than happy to take all considerations in terms of who they would potentially face in a final. I'm, they probably mentally thought about a, a Canada being there or, or uh, you know, maybe a Brazil coming out of that side of the draw. But I, I think their determination just to wanting to go and win it, whomever is standing in their way, was, was the biggest thing that they want to achieve here. I have to confess, I'm glad Canada's not in the final. And I'm really only glad for one reason, and it has nothing to do with the Canadian team or the Canadian players. Everybody would have been insufferable if it was a U.S.-Canada final. Twitter, the newspapers in both countries, all, they tell all of it. It just would have been brutal. Last question. I'm not going to make you guys make predictions because I think we all agree it's going to be a close game. It is on Sunday, but according to my phone, the forecast high, and we have an American audience, so I'm going to say it in Fahrenheit. It's going to be 86 degrees on Sunday. Combine that with a stadium that's got a partial roof, it traps the heat from what you guys have said to me and from what I've heard and seen. 52,000, 53,000, who knows how many people. A sellout crowd, obviously, whatever the final number ends up being. And hopefully a very festive crowd, not only with U.S. fans, but with plenty of Japanese fans as well. In the heat, who benefits? I'm going to go with Japan because I think um, the fact that they have to play in a lot of games, not just in heat, but a lot of humidity throughout Asia, particularly Southeast Asia. Um, I think I think they're even in their own country. I think uh, they'll be a little bit more used to having to play in those conditions. Um, but I only give that as being a bit of a slight edge, really. I, I, I think I think the American players. Uh, are, are used to it to to a certain extent as well. I mean, a number of them come from, I think, a number of hot, re- more very warm regions of the United States. So, I think the big difference is, is the humidity. If there's an if there's a high level of humidity uh, to go with the warm temperatures on Sunday, then I would I would edge things more in advantage to the Japanese. But the way the heat wave has been out here in Vancouver, it's been more on the dry heat type of side. So, if if there is an advantage to give to any one team. It's a very small percentage. I wouldn't even give it as being more than, than half a percent. I, you guys call this a heat wave. I'm, I'm sorry, as, as somebody who lives on the East Coast and is used to temperatures jumping over 100 degrees Fahrenheit and lots of humidity and it just being miserable back home at this time of year, which is part of the reason why I'm happy to be covering this World Cup for a month. Your, your definition, I'm sorry. It's not a heat wave by our standards. Anyway, Arjun, same question to you. Which team benefits if it's really hot in there? I don't think there is a benefit to be honest. I I think they're all I think they're very prepared for all conditions. You know, they've played in Edmonton, they've played all over the country in different weather. I think they're used to it, I think they're adjusted. I think both coaches will make sure their players are ready to play in their whatever situation that arises. So I don't really think the heat's gonna be a factor. You know, maybe we see a veteran player subbed off early because of the heat, but for the most part, I don't think it will be giving a huge effect on the match. You prompt me to ask this question, and it's sort of the flip side of the heat question in a way, and it is which team has the most depth, because that could be how you counter the heat situation in a way, and as well as many other factors in the game. Harjim, I'm going to start with you because you've watched Japan the most. 
which might therefore temper my assumption uh, that the U.S. has the depth. I'll go to you first and see what you think. You know, it's really close, as is every other aspect of this game, but I do have to give it to the U.S. You, you can bring Abby Wallen back in off the bench. You can bring Sidney LaRue, Heather O'Reilly, Kelly O'Hara. You know, a number of players that can come in off the bench 60th minute or later, even in extra time if needed. There's just so much depth on that U.S. team. I have to give them the depth edge. But you cannot count out Japan's ace up their sleeve. And I think a lot of people forget about this. Homara Sawa. She was going to come on for Japan had the England match gone into extra time. So most of the depth for the U.S., but a one ace up the sleeve for Japan that you cannot count out. I don't think anybody in the States is going to count out Homura Sawa because she played in the U.S. for a long time. People know about her. Um, I look at Kelly O'Hara. The people who know her well, who followed her career, know that she's certainly not coming out of nowhere. The general American public, though, will say, what just happened? She's started a game and now come off the bench and turned the World Cup around single-handedly. I look at that. I know Abby Wambach's coming in the 80th minute almost no matter what, either because the U.S. is going to need a goal or because, if you want to be more conspiratorial about it, if they're going to win the game, she's the one lifting the trophy. Good luck to everybody else on the team. Um, we have those seen that the U.S. depth is spectacular. Yes, and, and it's made up of difference makers. So if it's not, if you're not thinking just of Wambach and O'Hara, is a Kristen Press going to potentially be someone who comes in? Because I, I think about um, not just late in the game, if, they're having, if the Americans have to see a game out or need a goal, um, but extra time as well. I think there's more difference makers to call off the bench. LaRue, Wambach, O'Hara, Press... Uh, to name four, I think they have more. The, the problem with Japan, even though they have a Sawa or an Iwabushi, who I, I thought looked very good coming off the bench against England, is they're they're kind of the same sort of cookie cutter, sort of same players, same which is exactly how Jap- Japan are, um, but they don't offer different ingredients, different sort of spices into the mix to what's already out there in that starting eleven, and that's the difference I think that the Americans have. They have different pieces, different types of pieces, uh, someone who can go out there and galvanize the situation by just almost grabbing the situation of the game by the throat and, and going and single-handedly winning it for the United States. And I think that's where the depth advantage lies with the Americans. That variety of depth is something I want to bring into this, to, especially about Kristen Press, Harjeet, who when she scored that goal uh, against Australia, all of us who had written before the tournament, she's going to be the breakout star. There it was. She hasn't played much since. But <laughs> you figure Wombach's going to come in. O'Hara might start or she might come off the bench. If she starts, Heath comes off the bench. LaRue might come off the bench. Press might come off the bench. It's not just that the U.S. has depth. As Simon said, it's the ways in which they can use it depending on the situation. Yeah, Jill Ellis, she can switch up the tactics, the formations, the style, the strategy, everything. So it's something that both managers will be happy to leery about in-game tactics, management, who you bring on, who you bring off, what type of you know, play you expect your team to have throughout the game. And really, we have to also factor in injuries. You know, this is a long tournament. So we're going to have to see how players are holding up 
we saw Lucy Bronze go out for England and Alex Scott had to come in. So if that were to take place for either side on Sunday, you know, that changes the strategy, formations, everything when you've got to use a sub on an injured player. So that's something else to watch out for. But, you know, bottom line, USA's got more depth. Jill Ellis, she's got all these cards, all these different strings she can pull. So we'll see which one she pulls. Harjeet said injuries. I'm not going there. I promised myself at the beginning of the tournament that I wouldn't do it. And there's only one game left, and I'm not going to do it now. I'm going to close the show instead. And I think you guys both and all of the listeners know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, this has been fun. It was a good time together, a bit to eat, a bit to drink, watch the sunset. Uh, here in downtown Vancouver. It's a lovely city, as so many American fans have come to know. And uh, those of you listening out there, if you get the chance to come here, whether for a Whitecaps game or even just uh, a few days of vacation in the summer, it's a tremendous city, and you will not be disappointed. I'm Jonathan Tannenwald uh, from Philly.com, Philadelphia Inquirer and Daily News, at the goalkeeper, of course. Read all of my work at philly.com slash World Cup. And thank you for listening to episode six of a Women's World Cup Home Companion. Happy Independence Day to the folks back home. Have a great celebration and uh, be ready for something really, really special at 7 o'clock on Sunday night.